Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored by the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation. The Amarillo EDC promotes business expansion in the greater Amarillo area to build a stronger economy and increase the wealth of the community. You can learn more about the ways the Amarillo EDC is attracting new business and industry by visiting AmarilloEDC.com or following at AmarilloEDC on social media. Today's guest is David Prescott. David is the president of Talon LPE. Talon is an environmental services firm that's headquartered here in Amarillo. It started back in 1997 with just a few employees, and today Talon LPE has offices in four states. It has more than 100 employees. Its clients include Fortune 500 companies, federal and state agencies, and its work has expanded to include environmental consulting and drilling and a broad range of construction services. It's a big company, and it's based here in Amarillo. So I sat down with David, and he tells the story of how Talon began, including the part, and, and he's super humble about this, but the part where he almost failed out of college. And so he talks about what Talon is, what Talon does, and why, of all places, the company is based here in Amarillo. So here's David Prescott. David Prescott, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk about Talon LPE. I want to talk about the work that you do. But before we get to that point, I like to just sort of establish my guest in the panhandle. So tell me how you ended up here in Amarillo. Well, I grew up in Oklahoma City. I graduated from high school in 1989, and I went one semester of school to uh, University of Central Oklahoma, which was Central State back in in late 89, and I got all Fs and one D. And my dad and uh, all my dad's family lived out here, and my two sisters, and uh, he was helping uh, pay for school. And when he saw the uh, the grades that came in, there was there was really one option if he was going to continue to pay for school, and that was to come uh, come out to Amarillo and uh, go to work with the, with the family business. Uh, they had owned Western Uniform and Towel Service, uh, the largest at that time family-owned industrial laundry uh, in the United States, and they were headquartered here in Amarillo. Okay. So I came out and, uh, and begged and pleaded uh, to go to school at WT, and uh, luckily they put me on academic probation, and I was able, able to uh, become a student at uh, West Texas State at the time. What was behind the poor performance in Oklahoma? I mean, were you just not into school or? Yeah, I was just a typical freshman that, that had way too much fun and, mm-hmm. and uh, probably drank way too much beer and, and just carried on like a, like a wild man with no supervision. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was not uh, a long uh, partying semester. <laughs> did, did you have experience with Amarillo and the Panhandle before you moved here? You I know, mean, I would come out and visit my grandparents and, and my uncles and my dad uh, when they lived out here. And I always loved Amarillo. It was always just a a great time to get to come out and see my dad and my uncles and be with my sisters and, and my stepmom. And it was uh, just a just a kind of a special place. I like Amarillo. So you, you come back here, leave Oklahoma, and you set up here at school, kind of start over, work for the family business. Did you see it being a long-term thing, or was this, I'm going to put in my time and then go figure something else out? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, when I got to WT, I thought I was going to be a, um, a wildlife science major. And I was going to be a game warden. I always liked the outside, the natural sciences. And I, at that point, I, I thought, well, who knows where I'll get a job. And, and two years into the program, uh, at WT, they started an environmental science program. 
And I realized just going through and talking to folks that there was, there was going to be a high demand for environmental science students once they graduated. And I looked at the starting salaries between uh, a game warden at that time and what an environmental science person would yeah. make. And I thought, well, heck, that's a pretty easy decision. It's about the same number of classes. So I, I switched, uh, switched degree programs to environmental science, but always with the intention of, of going downstate, Austin, San Antonio, and, you know, maybe doing graduate work, you know, at a downstate school. Never thought that when I moved here in, in late 1989 that I would, I would still be sitting here, you know, what, almost 30 years later. So give me an idea then of, of your career path once you graduated with that environmental science degree. Okay. So in, in 95, I, I graduated with a degree in environmental science and biology from WT. Oh, at that time, my, my senior year of school, I was working for a company called Enrico Laboratories and we were doing analytical work. So I was just a an analytical chemist or uh, a glassware uh, technician, which was just a glorified dishwasher of, of cleaning up glassware in, in a right. lab. One of the, the clients at, at Enrico uh, was Perry Williams, and he was doing a lot of underground storage tank work and cleaning up old gas stations, and, and they offered me a job as an environmental scientist. And so I went to work uh, for Perry Williams and worked for him for about a year and a half. And then another firm uh, that was based in Houston opened up an office in Amarillo, and I went to work for that company, and they lasted about nine months. And so that would have been uh, late uh, 96 through uh, early 97 to about July of 97. And then that firm went bankrupt. We got a notification one day uh, via fax that, uh, mm -hmm. that they were going bankrupt. And at that point, I was 26 years old, uh, recently married, and, and you're going, what the heck's going on? How does this happen? And... At that point, I was I was doing a lot of the underground storage tank work for this firm that, that had moved to Amarillo and had the necessary license and about nine clients that uh, were allowing me to do work on their old underground storage tanks, their gas tanks. And uh, I decided at that point that if I was going to go broke, um, I might as well go broke for myself. And that's when I started uh, a company called uh, Lano Permian Environmental, which is the LPE portion of Talon. Went to those clients. Those clients uh, trusted us and, and started at that point. And that's how uh, Lano Permian Environmental started. September 1 of 97, it was through the demise of that other firm and their bankruptcy that allowed you know uh, that opportunity to present itself. Now, there's a big difference psychologically between working for a company and then starting out on your own and starting your own endeavor. Tell me about that process. I mean, did you feel like you were taking a pretty big risk or were you just like, this is, this is my one chance to do something like this? You know, historically, I mean, in, in terms of uh, entrepreneurship, I'd, I'd always had some type of a small business or some mechanism to make money as I, as I was growing up, even in Oklahoma. And then when I moved here, I, I, I had a, a yard business called Prescott Lawn Care. And we, we mowed, uh, gosh, I don't know, 80 to 100 yards a week and just, you know, always stayed busy and, and, and like that, that freedom. I, I probably wouldn't be a very good employee. You know, I, I'd like to be doing things and, and moving around and, and just the freedom to choose what I, what I would like to do. Right. So was it scary? It was absolutely terrifying. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're newly married, you have all these responsibilities. I'm mowing yards in the evenings. Uh, we're, we're working in this, this program where the the state is paying us to clean up these old abandoned gas station sites in, in places like Seymour, Texas. We were down in Childress. Uh, goodness, um, just you know, all the small communities between here and and uh, Wichita Falls. And to to start out like that, um, 
course we I would go to every bank and 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 try to get every relationship and, and the first question they would say is show us some some history mm-hmm. well there there's not any history when you start out there is uh, I mean if you don't give me some money the history is going to be pretty short you know it's going to be a, a pretty quick you know endeavor so my dad uh, gave me thirty thousand dollars and he told told us uh, when when that's done you're done and that thirty thousand dollars went went pretty quick you know when we were starting out uh, my former boss at the time, he was in Midland uh, when I worked for the company that went bankrupt. And shortly after I had started, he called up and said, hey, I've got this number of clients that, that I'm working for down here in Midland. Do you want to partner up? And that was, was the first partner I had. And uh, he actually had some banking relationships with some guys down in Midland. And we got a very small conventional line. And that, that was the, the mechanism that allowed us to, to just fight the battle as, as we grew and as we start offering, you know, more and more things. Well, before we get too far into that, give me, or at least give listeners an idea of what you were doing. So not everybody's going to know what you mean by environmental services or, you know, remediation or working with, you know, gas tanks or whatever. So tell me, what's the kind of work that, that you're performing? What, what does Talon do? Talon LPE uh, is a, a regional uh, provider of, of environmental consulting services for the remediation or the cleanup of soil and groundwater. And that could be from railroad spills. It could be from pipelines. It could be from uh, chemical refineries. It could be from the local convenience store that has gas tanks underneath. It could be from dry cleaners. Anywhere that chemicals that have been refined or processed or stored or transported will help clean that up. And now jump over to the the oil field where they're actually drilling the wells and they're extracting the raw crude oil. We do a tremendous amount of work throughout Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, and Colorado for all the major oil and gas producers in, in terms of saltwater spills, uh, crude oil spills. And anytime that media gets into groundwater, soil, or surface water, we're going to be the, the guys that, that respond. Um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, our teams are, are out there cleaning up spills, and it's been a very, very active summer. Uh, it's It's been unbelievable, the number of spills. And all of our guys, guys and gals that work for Talon, I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just killing it right now. And, you know, that's that's one thing that we, we definitely want to want to recognize today is just the, the team members that we have. We, we would not be who we are or able to provide the level of service to our clients if it wasn't for the the folks that we have here, just an incredible family and team. And tell me, tell me about your clients uh, to give listeners a sense of, of the reason that this cleanup has to happen. You know, a lot of times it's accidental, but there are different regulations you have to meet. There are right. different steps in the building process. It, it has to be done before you can go further. I mean, is that, is that what's happening with, with your work? That, that is, you know, it, with, with the, the incredible production that we have seen, the increase in production in the Permian Basin, in the last seven to eight years, and just the amazing ability of all those companies to allow America to have energy independence in, in, a, in an environment that was, was really against it, you know, a, a governmental environment, you know, with regulations, and, and they've, they've just done a, a phenomenal job in, in technology and innovation. Now, we do have the environmental regulations that, that are there in place to protect the soil and the groundwater, which are very important. You know, the pre 1970s circular activities and and you know when when those laws became came in effect it is it is drastically reduced and cleaned up the environment and and all of our clients they want to do the right thing and they are doing the right thing and i don't care how many 
safety measures or you know uh, engineering controls you put into place spills happen i mean it, it's just it, you know, failure occurs mechanical failure occurs and our clients all the major oil and gas folks you know from the permian basin through the anadarko up in into the dj in colorado and, and and over into oklahoma and down in the eagle ford in san antonio i mean they they do the right thing uh, they're they're cleaning up these spills it, it costs a lot of money uh, to to get material that has been spilled and soil and groundwater out mm-hmm. and, and get you know regulatory closure when we get the the sites closed up enough or cleaned up enough. So so when you first were getting started, uh, you partnered you know with a, a an enterprise in the Midland Odessa area. Uh, you were in Amarillo. Did you ever ever have a feeling about whether or not you would stay in Amarillo? I mean, did you did you want that to be your home base, or were you open to? moving elsewhere or doing anything like that? You know, the older I, I get, and, and let's just put it today, there was never a plan B. Plan A was that this was going to succeed. There were, were so many people in Amarillo from once we had some history with banking, with, uh, with accounting, with, with uh, the, the legal aspects, lawyers, and just the, the Amarillo takes care of Amarillo. And it was, you know, it just an, an incredible spot to do business, and as as you became more connected, as I became more connected mm-hmm. in in the community, Amarillo has everything that you need to, to start your business and and see it prosper. You know, we we thought, well, maybe we should be in Dallas, maybe we should be in Austin, maybe in Houston. We've had offices in in Houston and in Austin, and one thing that we found that was was very successful early on that that really cemented us in Amarillo was not only those relationships. But West Texas really takes care of West Texas. Mm-hmm. And we would, we would talk to folks that might be on that line in, in Wichita Falls that they could hire a firm in Dallas or down in Austin, or they could hire a firm in Amarillo. And nine times out of 10, they went with us. And it just, it, it really worked well in, in terms of the mentorship, the, the financial backing. You know, once we had the history, like I said, uh, a and B has been an incredible partner with Talon uh, for the last twelve years. You know we've been with A and B, and and they they ride it out in the good years and the bad years with us. And you know, like I said, with our legal team, and it's just uh, it's just a great team. You know, I I know you've got a history of performance. You've got a solid customer base. But again, you're not the only environmental services company in Texas, or that's accessible to any of these clients. And so when you do have um, you know, a business that's in Midland or, or even up into Colorado, why are they coming to an Amarillo business to get these services instead of, you know, looking for somebody in Denver or somebody in mm-hmm. uh, San Antonio or something like that? So one of, one of, one of the, the great things about Talon is uh, innovativeness, our, our innovation. You know, I don't know if you remember the, the show MacGyver, you know, but the original MacGyver. When, right. when, uh, the good MacGyver. The good MacGyver, right. When, when he could dismantle a, you know, a, a nuclear weapon or whatever with a, uh, some gum and a, and, a, and a coat hanger. You know, it was, it, was, it was great. We try to hire those kind of guys and those kind of guys and gals. And the innovativeness, the ability to think on their feet. Um, you know, Talon, we, we not only do we do the, the consulting and, and the uh, – the brain power of the cleanup, but we also have the yellow equipment, the 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 back hose, the track hose, the the dump trucks, all of those things. We have the drilling rigs, and why would drilling rigs be important in environmental work? Well, you have to install the monitor well so we can sample the soil and install a monitor well so we can sample the the groundwater, right. and then ultimately decide how we're going to remediate that groundwater. We have all the pieces that would allow us to do 95% of the work in-house. Most consulting firms just have the 
the, the geologist and the, and the chemist and those folks on staff. Well, we not only have those folks, but we have all the pieces of equipment in the field that allow us to remediate the soil and the groundwater. So if you're, if you're calling Talon and you, you have a, a high profile incident where you, you have a lot of crude oil or, you know, there's a train derailment or, or something like that, you know, that those services, not only are you going to have the staff that's capable that think on their feet and, and, and get that project taken care of, you know, that the, the equipment is going to be there and we can reroute it and do, do as we need to with it. And so, so that, that really makes a, makes a difference to our clients. More of a turnkey approach. Where Absolutely. Everything happens here. Yeah. You've, you've been part of this business community now, you know, for 20 years. Yeah. Tell me what it's been like to, to start a business and then to grow to the point that talent is right now within this Amarillo community. I mean, what, what has this environment meant for the growth of your business? You know, what, what makes Amarillo unique in terms of uh, bringing those innovative uh, staff members? Uh, you know, we, we get so many folks that, that have um, an agricultural background. They might be from Pampa or they might be from Dalhart. And, and those folks, they know different approaches. They've worked very hard, you know, as they were growing up, maybe in school. They want to stay in this area. They want to stay in Amarillo or you know, wherever, wherever it is, just in West Texas, in, in most of our offices, uh, at one time or another, we have transferred individuals that graduated from WT, mm-hmm. uh, to those offices The our guy that runs our, our San Antonio office, uh, he's from WT. We, we moved him down there. Uh, the lady that used to run our Austin office, who's also in, in our San Antonio office is, is a WT grad. Okay. We had multiple graduates, uh, that we've moved from Amarillo to Midland, up to Fort Collins, uh, just, you know, all of our different offices that those, those folks, they, they, there's a, there's something unique, uh, that we're, we're seeing in those employees to bring again, that innovative mindset, the ability to think on their feet and, and, and take care of our clients problems. So that, that is really a strong aspect. I don't, I would, I, I bet we've hired 50 to 60 mm-hmm. environmental science students from WT, you know, over the last 20 years. Is, is that due to something that's happening at WT or is that just sort of the culture that, you know, young people grow up in here in, in the Texas Panhandle? I would think that's part of the culture. Okay. I, WT has a great program. I love the environmental science and the science programs at WT, but you, there's other programs in other areas in, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in a, in, throughout the state and throughout the United States. But we just, we, I think it's more of a, a culture that they grew up in and, and, and thinking on their feet. Tell me what you think about when you think about the future of the business. You know, you've, you've grown, you're a large regional business. You have customers in multiple states um, based in Amarillo. Do you see any more expansion happening in the next few years? You know, it, we, we're, we're in our 21st year right now. Our, our 21st anniversary will be September 1 of this year. We, we can't keep up right now. We, we have so much demand right now from our clients that, that we, we need to hire there's a, a definite shortage of, of those folks that, w- that we're looking for. We could hire 20 people right now, or we would hire 20 people if we could get 25 qualified folks, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, to submit their applications, not just here in Amarillo, but in, uh, across all of our offices. We need, we need people. So where, where, what is the future going to, going to, what does it look like? Of course it's, um, we have really good years when the price of oil is high, uh, a little less, you know, uh, profitability when, when years, when, when oil prices are lower, our business is really recession proof. It doesn't matter if oil's a hundred dollars a barrel or if it's $50 a barrel, you still have to clean it up if it's over a certain amount that is spilled, you know, per federal regulation. So 
regardless of the, the, the price of oil, I mean, like I said, the profitability changes, the profitability model of, of how much money we make changes. But it is, uh, I mean, the, the future is very bright. Groundwater is, uh, is a, a finite resource, mm -hmm. uh, surface water. I mean, we, we realize that with the, the drought we've seen so far this year and then just jump back to 2011. And we're, we're extracting a lot of water out of the Ogallala right now, and always have. All of those things play into uh, just the importance of environmental services and professional environmental services on, on the remediation in, of, of soil and groundwater. So the, the future is, is very bright for our business. There is a good barrier to entry. Uh, there's a lot of licensing requirements. Right. You know, it's a lot of folks think it's uh, voodoo science, but there it's it's interesting on how the, the methodology to clean up groundwater and, and remediate aquifers uh, occurs. Uh, that's that's definitely probably another discussion. You know, not in not in this podcast. I'd, I'd ask you about it, but I don't want to get too far, you know, into the the weeds of the science and stuff. But right. I mean, do do tell me a little bit about maybe the process and in, in sort of a way that, that a, a layman could understand. So the easiest thought is is uh, go to Sonic and get your 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 Route Forty Four limeade, and you put a straw in the, into the limeade, and that is the monitor well going in to the Ogallala Aquifer. Okay. The ice is the, the sand particles uh, around the well that, that hold the water. And that's really what the aquifer is, is it's just this, this unconsolidated, just loose sand formation that has a bottom that's, that's solid. And it's very similar to that, that limeade of, uh, you know, in your sonic cup. And so to- It's it, not just this big expanse of water just flowing down there. That's know? correct. It's just, I mean, very similar to the, the ice particles, you know, with the, with the limeade around the ice particles. And so we will we'll put that straw in, and, and as as uh, you remediate the, the groundwater, you'll you'll put a pump in there, and you'll extract the water or suck the water up, and we'll clean it up on the surface, and then you either will reinject it or we'll send it to a uh, a city sewer. To, but before we do that, the, the the contaminants have been removed, and so if you have a large release or spill that that enter, encounters the Ogallala, you might put as many as sixty or seventy wells in figure out how big of a problem it is and then you'll put more wells where the the free gasoline or or whatever the free product is that's mm -hmm. floating on on the water because oil is is, is lighter and it's going to going to float and we'll just continually extract until we we pull that contaminant back in and then we can reach achieve levels that the state will allow closure and what do you do with those contaminants once you've removed well, them well we'll remediate them at the free product being the, the pure gasoline or the pure crude oil, will actually send off for blending or dispose of okay. at, a, at a facility. And all, of, all the contaminants are either disposed of or remediated on site. And so either we'll, uh, for the layman's terms, we'll run it through a thermal oxidizer and we'll burn it off. Okay. So there's no particulate matter going out into the atmosphere or we'll collect it and then send it for disposal. I, I want to ask you this because I know this is something that, that probably impacts a lot of industries with the panhandle being so dependent on oil and gas. And, you know, you talked about energy independence, which is one reason that there, there are a lot of different approaches to try to find some more renewable forms of energy, whether it's wind, whether it's solar. As maybe our, our nation or as the industry moves more toward those renewable forms and tries to get away from oil and gas, do you see Talon having to adjust down the road as that ratio changes? Is that something that you think about? We've looked at solar. We've looked at wind. Um, there was a report just this week, I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal, that the Permian Basin is going to double their output you know, by 2023. Everyone is still driving 
the, the same cars. Right. We're still filling up. We, we like it when, when gas is $2.25. Our model will stay with the, with the hydrocarbon industry for some time. If we see the need to shift that, we're always going to be looking at that. But at this point, I, I think our model is going to stay where it's at right now. I mean, the things that drive West Texas and in the areas, our service areas and, and you know, down in, in South Central Texas, I mean, those those things are not changing. The population mm-hmm. of Texas is is exploding. I mean, you see some of the numbers that, you know, in the next 40 years, the I-35 corridor will be continuous from San Antonio to Oklahoma City. Uh, it's going to double. I mean, when you start thinking about those ramifications for the state and natural resource usage and, and hydrocarbons, I, I don't think there's our services are going to be needed in what we know how to do really well. I, I want you to think back to when you were in college and, and almost failing out in Oklahoma, made your way to Amarillo. And then now, more than two decades later, you're running this big business You know that's, that's finding success. Are you surprised at where you've ended up? Does this feel like um, this was sort of a natural progression from who you were as a kid or? Back when, when I started uh, Talon LPE, my, my goal was to find an old gas station somewhere a, a, a nostalgic vintage old gas station that had a had some problems environmental problems hopefully buy that very inexpensively convert the bays into some cubes and have about six folks that uh did environmental consulting mm-hmm. and make payroll every two weeks right. whenever it was needed that was kind of the, the the goal just a small little enterprise yeah just to just see how it went so when when you said earlier in in, the, in this question do i um uh, me running this business. Well, well, first of all, I've just got an incredible team that runs this, that runs talent. You know, the, the folks that are running our Midland office or our San Antonio office or up in Fort Collins, I don't know what they're doing today, but I know they're doing it well. We have an idea what they're doing, but their interaction day to day with their clients or the specifics of their projects. It's, it's the team that you, you surround yourself with. I mean, I try to surround myself with the, the smartest and the brightest folks and then get out of their way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think what was it, Herb Keller with Southwest Airlines? You know, his his thoughts on that were, you know, hire the best and brightest, give them the best tools you can, and and again, get out of the way and let them do what they do best. Now, I'm there involved in in decisions and growth and strategy, but the day to day operations are handled by folks that are far brighter than I am that that take care of these clients and and they they do an incredible job. And I think we all want that in in life. Is I don't need to micromanage you. You don't need to micromanage me. We all. Are, are capable of getting up and getting to work and, and taking care of things. And again, that goes back to just one thing that makes Amarillo so awesome is those types of folks are here. I mean, not just in Amarillo, but when you, when you surround yourself with, with those folks and like I said, in San Antonio or Oklahoma city or Fort Collins, they're, they're there and they want to be given those tools and have the support and then let them do what they do best. So that's, I think that's the secret sauce. So if you live here, you already know that Amarillo is a great place to live, a great place to work. People love raising their families here, and our local high schools and colleges produce extremely talented individuals. But what if those graduates don't stick around? What if they don't stay here in Amarillo? Or what if young workers never discover the quality of life here if nobody tells them about it beforehand? For Amarillo to succeed, we need the unique talents and skills that our future workforce possesses. And it's that thinking that's behind a new workforce development strategy at the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation. Today, the Amarillo EDC is focusing efforts to recruit and retain the best talent to our area, while also investing in our current student population to encourage them to get involved in the local workforce. To do this, the EDC works with community organizations, with school districts and colleges, 
to ensure that our students, that our future workforce is positioned for success. That's why the Amarillo EDC is excited about the next generation of workers here and is working to equip them to create innovative, beneficial solutions to improve our community. You can learn more about these workforce development efforts by contacting Sabrina Mech. That's Sabrina at AmarilloEDC.com or following the Amarillo EDC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Okay, I'm back with David Prescott of Talon LPE. David, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and your job as my guest is to answer those uh, in whatever amount of detail you want to. So the first one, what is the most challenging project that you or your business has worked on? Well, for me personally, in 2011, the TCEQ, which is the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, was sunsetting the main program that uh, cleaned up underground storage tanks, remediated underground storage tanks. And some of the, the provisions in that sunset were, were going to cost a tremendous amount of money uh, to the state and, and cost additional resources to continue to clean up sites that were very close to either being closed or remediated. And we went in and created um, a lobbying group and actually helped change the, the course and in, in the path of, of the, the closure of those, those sites. And it was, uh, was very successful. And that was, I thought at one time, with the cost of all the lobbyists and, and to get that done, that it w- might have been one of the biggest business mistakes that, that I'd ever made. But in the end, it, it worked out very well for us and, and saved the state a lot of money. Was, so, it, uh, was it like oil and gas storage? No, that, again, or? it would be the, uh, the underground storage tanks at the convenience stores. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. the convenience stores. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? I mean, obviously, you're working with not just Talon locations that are in, in different places, but customers, you know, in a, a large radius. So when they want to know what Amarillo is like, what do you tell them? I, I, you know, one of the, one of the great things about Amarillo again is the, the people that are here. I, I talk to the folks that uh, are clients and, and, and associates in Houston. And when I hear they have an hour and 15 minute commute one way uh, to go 30 miles, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, we can almost be in Lubbock and you just a little longer than that. Right. And, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a 15 minute traffic jam, now that's a little different right now with all the road construction we have, but, uh, but now it's like 18 minutes. Yeah. 18, of 15 yeah, minutes yeah. I mean, and, and, and I laugh, you know, we, we live over on the, the, the Northwest side of town and gosh, we, we really don't want to go past, you know, I 40 to go get something to eat. Um, you know, gosh, my, it, it's just, uh, the, the commute and the weather is, is 90% of the time is awesome. Uh, but, but again, the folks are, are great. What does this area have too much of? Wind. There, there is there is too much wind. Uh, my niece and and my sister in law they live up in Chicago, and my niece uh, came here to go to WT, uh, and she she stayed with us for a while. And being from Chicago, when my niece says the wind here is just is ridiculous, and it's a it's a bully. It's just always pushing on you. And I never never thought of the wind yeah. as as being a bully, but I really thought that was unique that my niece from Chicago would, would classify the wind in Amarillo. I mean, I guess Chicago being the windy city. The windy city. Yeah. So anyways, I thought that was, I mean, too much wind. We, we, we have too much wind. But I guess, I guess sometimes uh, being bullied can, can toughen you up a little bit. And so maybe that's, that's something that has helped make the Panhandle people resilient and I would agree with able that. to face challenges. Yeah. <laughs> what does this area not have enough of? You know, I, I think that I, if if I was king for a day, I would I would put in more running trails, outdoor activity areas. I mean, I'm I'm thankful for the the city parks or school parks that we have, but just a 
an area that in downtown, I mean, I wish, you know, around the MPEV or, or the, the ballpark, we, we would have some running trails or, or some more cycling areas that were, were a little safer. It seems that when, when community development starts, that that's not really always taken into account. And I know it wasn't historically, but I, I, I wish we had some more outdoor exercise areas or areas that you could you could do that type of thing, like a town lake in Austin or, or something like that. Obviously, we don't have the lake and the, the cool river like that. but Right. Know. But a, a lot of those things were the product of, you know, decisions that were made 15 or 20 years ago. Right. And, you know, for whatever reason, Amarillo was not in a place to be making those decisions, you know, that long ago. And so today we're feeling left out. Do you think part of that is is due to that type of leadership or is there like a cultural element? Uh, everybody's always in their cars going places so they don't think about riding their bikes. You know, I think that, I think that's it. I think that, uh, I mean, we, we do have incredible weather here, uh, but it, it, uh, it is challenging sometimes. And, and I, I think people, uh, we drive everywhere we go and, and there's, I think there's more people being outside. I, I and maybe it's just cause I'm at that station in my life where I, where I like to run and, and do things outside but you don't you don't see as much as you do in other cities, and and I think that's that's probably a cultural issue from Emerald Lubbock down to to Midland. Mm-hmm. We we just we, we stay busy, we work a lot, and I, I don't know why we don't exercise more. What's your all time favorite local restaurant? Well, there there there's there's three of them. I'm okay. following I'm I'll following Stacy Sanning's that's lead. Fine. Okay, so she uh, set a precedent. So she I guess did. We'll yeah, it's it's it. it's so hard to uh, to just select one. So uh, uh, I'm a, I'm an our 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 main field office is uh, is on the boulevard, and so the boulevard is just home to some incredible restaurants. And El Manatia mm-hmm. is uh, is a Mexican restaurant that is, in my opinion, has some of the best Mexican food in, in Amarillo. If you haven't been there. Authentic Mexican. Food. Authentic. It's, it's yeah. not a Tex-Mex joint. No, it's not a Tex-Mex, but it is. It is really, really good. And then uh, the Texas Chicken Bowl. Uh, okay. Then over there, it's a, it's a Chinese uh, restaurant on the boulevard that, that's incredible. And then uh, Tim Youngblood over at Youngblood uh, Cafe. I mean, they just have a have a great meal there. All right. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? Um, so I wore I wore cowboy boots about three weeks ago. Uh, a company called Sandex, which is uh, owned by a, a local family here in Amarillo, uh, Jerry Don Thompson, uh, they celebrated their 200th unit. They, they build equipment that helps in, in the, uh, the fracking process and, and keeps the environment clean, built their 200th unit. And they had a, uh, a big barbecue and a dance in, in uh, Granbury. And so I had to actually dust my cowboy boots off and, and find them and put them on. But before that, it had been years since I'd put cowboy boots and on. And then you left the area to go to Granbury to put them on. Yes, that, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you, you mentioned the, uh, the weather um, and how much you like it. So tell me, what's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? You know, late fall days when, when, the, when the, the, the leaves are still on the trees and, you know, those, those first cold fronts are coming through. And then right now, the summer nights after the, the sun kind of sets. And it's just, I mean, that you don't get that anywhere else. You go downstate and you can't be outside at 10 o'clock without yeah. dying. And we can all sit outside at 930 here. And it's some evenings you might even have to have a light jacket. And it's, yeah, I think that's just a, a real special thing about this. That's area. that's an underrated part of the area. Other places, you know, there are a lot of places that get up into the 90s on a regular basis during the summer, but not as many that will drop back down into the 60s or, or low 70s in the nights. And that's that's something that we're, we're never stifled, you know, at 10 or 1030 at night with 85 degrees and high humidity. That's right. I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's, I guess, one of those little, little secrets that uh, we can keep on to. When was the last time you went to the Big Texan? 
You know, unfortunately, I was when when I was thinking about this. It's been several years. I've always enjoyed uh, the Big Texan. The food is is great. I love the atmosphere, and they they do such a good job. There's so many uh, tourists there mm-hmm. that uh, sometimes it's hard to get in there when you. you yeah, it's, 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 it's almost it, always busy. Yeah, there's always a waiting a waiting line and or you know a list to, to get in, and so I don't get out there near as often as I should. But they. They just have a great product and it's super successful. Have you ever had like, you know, people in your company or clients come to Amarillo and and want to know about the big Texan or want to go out there? We have, we have, and and we'll, we'll make sure if we, we bring folks in, especially from, from uh, the East coast or, I mean, they need to, they need to see that and they need to see the, you know, the uh, Cadillac ranch and we take them out there and it's just amazing how many folks are, are out there that stop every day that, that, that are at, at those locations. Okay, well, that concludes the eight straight questions. David, I, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something. So what is something related to this area that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, I thought about this, and, and there's so many so many great organizations and things in Amarillo, but what I wanted to, to, uh, to speak on was the, uh, the Boy Scouts, okay. uh, the Golden Spread Council of Boy Scouts. Out of 265 councils throughout the United States, uh, our, our council based here in Amarillo, which is the, the top 26 counties of the, of the panhandle, every year they're, they're a top 10% council based on advancements, endorsements, uh, you know, donations, uh, just the endowment. It, it's just an incredible council. They have about 4,000 um, young, young kids, young adults that, mm-hmm. are, that are in scouts, about 1,200 volunteers, and um, two great camps, Camp Don Harrington, down by, you know, between Amarillo and Canyon. And then there's also another camp, uh, MK Brown over right. by Wheeler. And uh, they have about 16,000 people, uh, unique visitors to Camp Don Harrington every year and that's, about 4,000 to MK Brown. But that's they just a huge do a, number. You know, they, they really do some incredible things. And there's been a lot of discussion that, uh, that girls are coming into Boy Scouts, which I think is a, is, a, is a great opportunity for providing world-class activities in world-class camps to everyone. And I, I support that fully. The Cub Scouts uh, are going to accept girls in September. And then the boys, Scouts BSA, the new name, will, will the Scouts, Boy mm-hmm. Scouts will start accepting girls in uh, February of 2019. Okay. So, Did you get involved with Scouts as a kid or has it been like as a, a dad? Uh, as a dad. Okay. As a dad. Both my boys were, I have two boys and both of them were in Scouts and it was just a great experience. You know, you always have all those intentions of we're going to go camping next weekend or we're going to go fishing or we're going to do this and life happens and it gets mm-hmm. busy. But when you have those things and they're involved in an activity that next weekend we're, we're going and it was just some, some of the best memories I have with my boys have been based with scouts. All right. Well, David Prescott, thank you so much for being on the Hey Amarillo podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me and, and uh, appreciate it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to the Amarillo EDC for sponsoring another show, another episode of Hey Amarillo podcast. And especially to David Prescott for hosting our interview at the Talon LPE corporate offices uh, near downtown Amarillo. You can learn more about Talon uh, at talonlpe.com. As for this podcast, dig into the archives at heyamarillo.com. If if you've discovered the show recently, there are 40 plus other episodes in uh, in our back catalog. So go back and and listen to uh, those that interest you. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at heyamarillo. Find us on Facebook and on Instagram at Hamarillo Podcast. If you like this episode, if you like the show itself, tell somebody about it. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. But thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.